to the Social Advice Podcast with your host Rock Mitchell. Enjoy intriguing conversations and dialogue surrounding faith, fashion, technology, current events, culture, self-help and motivation. And remember this one thing. Don't take that long to get right, shorty. Welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, she got Rock Mitchell. We're back for another episode of the Social Advice Podcast, where it don't take that long to get right, shorty. I'm back with this one is a very special one. I think all of my podcast episodes are special, and y'all tell me y'all hit me up and y'all like them, but this one is extra special because it deals with the community today, and it deals with an individual who, if you live in Baltimore City, he is a legend. He is a legend. You can't live in Baltimore City. You can't have went to Baltimore City schools and know not know about this guy. He's still he's still at it he's doing his thing he's making some major moves in baltimore right now it's the one it's the only it's the it's the honorable dr andre bunley how are you sir thank you i'm well rock thank you for asking it's just an honor to be sitting with a person who has great vision big vision um, and going and doing great things thank you for having me so I appreciate you taking the time to, to let me come to your swanky digs here at the mayor's office to uh, have a conversation um, I met Dr. Bunley personally a couple months back um, he had some initiatives a good friend of mine shout out to Earl he was on the uh, podcast last season and he was like man you if somebody you should have on the podcast is Dr. Bunley but I want you to come meet him first so I came and met Dr. Bunley and we did some work together in the community working for the mayor um so but i don't want to talk talk about that right now i want to go back and talk about you as a person doc talk about where you came from in the city um how you matriculated through i'm in here with all of your plaques and stuff on the wall you know your bookshelf and you know uh, all your your concepts and ideas on the wall so i want to get to how we get to this point where does it start so so i am i consider myself a baltimorean um came to baltimore by way of the train as my uh sister old elder sister helped me to recall because i had an abusive dad i was born in philadelphia uh and came here was brought here rather when i was two years old so i consider myself a Baltimorean, um, came to West Baltimore, grew up in the place that's called Reservoir Hill officially, but we called it more officially White Lock. Yep. And growing yep. up, throwing up the W sign, uh, growing up in, in, in the Reservoir Hill White Lock community. And so I went to um, Johnny G. Howard Elementary School, as it was called at that time. It's now called uh, Dorothy Heights Elementary uh, Middle School uh, on Linden Avenue and Lenox Street. And so um, just grew up there. Um, my mother died when I was 13 years old. Uh, went into what they call the kinship care, foster care system. Um, and there I stayed until I was 18 years of age. Uh, at 18, after graduating high school, went to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore and stayed there for a year and then transferred to Coppin State uh, College, as it was called at the time, university now. And uh, majored in special education and people say well, why are you major in special education because I said because uh, I want to be a businessman and they say wait a minute I said why are you major in special education and you say you want to be a businessman why didn't you major in business and it was I said that at that time because with not the clarity that I have now but just the instinct then because it came down that education would become my business wow. right and so almost prophetic yeah you know I just just said that that I'm be a businessman and so education became my business and in that process of becoming an educator I just Ryan had a memory as to how I had come to the point where I was whether I was at Coppin State College uh, mother dying at 13, growing up in White Lock Street, all the experiences that I had growing up, being uh, a, a person who needed welfare assistance, you know, always took the thing that could be a knock in my life and made it a boost. And that um, people would say, you know, back in my community, you know, if you were on welfare, they would tease you about it. And as I got older, you know, I realized, I said, well, wow, you know, it was, I grew up 
on welfare and now I'm faring well. But right. even though I had words to describe that positive self-esteem coming through difficult days, um, I had words to describe it early I had the confidence to pursue it uh, before I had the words to say right. what I was doing right right and so that that's funny because a lot of a lot of folks these days have meager beginnings and they tend to stay there because they have not conditioned their minds to go outside of what it is that they've been captured by which is their surroundings their atmosphere the demographic they grew up in but to see that you were able to with your parents you know not being around at a young age going into the foster care system being on welfare now you're sitting in the mayor's office running a organization that reaches back to that community that you came from mm -hmm. that's a story in itself that's that's like a netflix documentary wait, <laughs> waiting to happen what mentally prepared you for that? I mean, being as though you had the, you had that um, hood um, um, rearing, but other than the hood rearing, because a lot of people have hood rearing and they they become very very good hood people. They mm -hmm. become very good criminals or mm -hmm. whatever that that demographic raises them to be. But you went in a completely opposite. I mean, you went straight ahead to black excellence. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Well, you know, just listening, one of the things that I did have, though I had, I was hard-headed at times, I was hard-headed at times. Right. There were times that I did listen. And by listening to people who taught me, who modeled for me the thing that I believe in very wholeheartedly now and, and, and have actually created uh, with my, my partner, uh, Mama B, this whole idea of quality connected relationships, People built relationships with me and those individuals to whom I listened. Okay. And so I had a coach. I was a good, pretty good athlete. Mm -hmm. um, and I played all sports, right? And so I listened. And um, I listened to them as they guided me away from the things that were right there in my midst okay. that I touched because they were right there. Things in which I participated because they were right there. But when they gave me an alternative experience, when they shared with me why I might want to heed the alternative experience that they were sharing uh, with me, I was able to make some progress and then, you know, continue to move forward and, and be exposed. You know, one of the things that I, I'm thankful for is that um, I liked words growing up right and my brother and I always have this little joke he said you know because my brother uh, dropped out of school uh, in the eighth grade and he reminded me uh, he I would always ask him spell congregation spell the word congregation <laughs> you know and that was a word that I remember spelling and learning in school and and I realized when I wanted to hurt his feelings because he was physically beating me up because I could never beat my brother and was always afraid of him. I said, that's why you can't spell congregation. So, you know what I'm saying? So, so I just had that literacy piece going on and, and, and I was able to listen to people and play sports and then just continue to move forward. So let's go back a little bit. And so you went to school and special education was your thing. Did you go straight into becoming a teacher from there or so, I mean, because I have an older cousin, which you know, who, who you know, sits under you and, and meets with you. And um, I remember when I was still in like middle school, he was becoming a teacher and, and you know, the whole progression of just like being there, being like a second dad to these right. kids. And, and I was in the market the other day and a young lady came up to me and said, um, I remember you, but I don't know where I remember you from. And I was like, ah, you know, you're not familiar to me. And she said, are you related to Mr. Mitchell? I was like, what Mr. Mitchell? Um, Troy Mitchell. I said, yeah, I'm related to him. That's my older cousin. She said, I remember you used to come to our classroom. I said, wow. wait, wait a minute. Over at Ashburton, we was in like the fifth grade. Wow. I was like, wow, I, either I'm really old <laughs> that she remembered me, but he's been teaching a long time. So what was your progression? You went straight into the Baltimore school system? or So when I um, I went to Coppin, when I transferred mm -hmm. from University of Maryland Eastern Shore, I went to Coppin State uh, uh, College at the time. And it was at that point that's when I'm talking about I wanted to become a businessman. Mm -hmm. And then I had a, uh, I pledged in a fraternity, Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Mm -hmm. And my fraternity brother, uh, was a teacher there um, at, the, at the university, at the college, rather, at the time. And um, 
he said, listen, man, don't stop. He said, you need to go ahead and consider going right to graduate school. And I said, really? And he had gone to George Washington University uh, in Washington, D.C. So I filled out that uh, the, the information that I had gotten accepted into George Washington University. I, my grades got me there, but they didn't. I didn't have any money. And so I also applied uh, to state universities. I applied to Penn State University and uh Michigan State and Ohio State. I got into Penn State University, so as soon as I graduated, I went straight into graduate school. Okay. Went to get my master's degree in uh, counselor education. And um, after that, then I came back and I started teaching. Okay. So I had gotten my bachelor's degree and uh, my master's degree. But again, listening to people uh, who said, listen, man, you... He said, if you go out and get those creature comforts right now, you might get distracted. He yeah. said, you know, they always tell you, you go get yourself an apartment. You know, you're going to have to get some furniture. You go get some furniture. You're going to go and get some some date, some date dishes and some some spoons and forks. You go get a nice spoon and fork and cook dinner. Then you're going to have to want to cook dinner for your girlfriend. You get a girlfriend, you might get a wife. You get a wife, you're going to get a baby. So he said, you know, you might want to just kind of know that you can get that now. Or you can get that later, and you can get to college and get to graduate school right now. And again, I listened. So I thank God I always had that in me that I I, I, I did listen. I mean, I, I, I didn't just shun people's ideas. I guess that's a, in your, your age range, that is something um, that I find that is really consistent because my father who grew up in Lexington Terrace, mm -hmm. you know about 1970s Lexington Terrace. Yes, sir. You, you got to be of a certain <laughs> caliber to go around there. That's right. And he had, um, he had four older brothers and they were in the street wilding. I mean wilding, losing their minds, like doing it any and everything right and um, my dad got caught up in some stuff and his older brother told him he said listen man you need to go to the military you can't be out here with us you need to go to the military and so my dad went to the military and then going to the military he met my mom you know he you know renew renewed his relationship with Christ and his life went on a whole nother trajectory wow different than his older brothers wow like they went one way and he went a complete other way but it was all because he listened and I find um, and it's it's, a, it's it, it trickled over into my generation but more or less this younger generation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're not listening mm -hmm. they, they don't want to hear what it is that you have to say until you've identified Identified with their struggle until you've identified with the fact that you, you know you had to show me you you've been out here and you right. did this no before I'm listening to no you. Doubt. That's why certain folks that I see that look up to you they listen to because it's evident that they done did the thing. They mm -hmm. didn't they, they know what it's about. So you went into the school system and what was that experience starting to teach the kids? You know, just having a memory of where I had come from and not assuming that. Everything that I had experienced, that all of the children that I had the, the, the blessing to be able to impact their lives as a classroom teacher uh, and eventually as an administrator, right? Because I spent most of my life in Baltimore City Public Schools and most of my life I spent as an administrator. I was a teacher for five years and an administrator for 25 years. Okay. And, but I was, for all of those 30 years, I was a teacher. Even as a principal and as an administrator, and so it kind of feels like to me, um, when it comes to the administrative part, you, you know, the the teaching part. Of course, you're spending the time in the classroom, right? But as an administrator, you really got to show that care to the right. students because you're not responsible for teaching them their lessons per se, but you have to show mm -hmm. why you ain't my teacher. I don't got to listen to you. So yeah. you got to show even more love. That's right. To get them to That's listen. Right. That's right. For them not to be disrespectful. That's for right. them to understand the lessons you're trying to teach them while you walking past them in the hallway Absolutely. or when they come into your Absolutely. office. So, and I think that's something that, you know, you have to de develop. So how did that, how did that yeah, develop? Yeah, the, the, just the whole idea is just that, that the my perspective changed, Ryan, in terms of, so when I left the classroom, you're right. I, I had those students that I directly taught, right? Mm -hmm. But as I was becoming an administrator, I had become the teacher of the entire space. So I was the teacher of the adults, and I was the teacher of the children. The head teacher. The, I was the head teacher of the, you know, of the of that space. And so when I went into, um, uh, when I went into the 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 uh, 
the space of being an administrator, I just realized how to expand that. And so what I was responsible for was the productivity and the adults were responsible for the productivity of children. So, but the productivity that I was trying to get in children, I had to get through other adults in addition to the children. So let me pause you right there because this is, this is, um, I knew it was going to be a lot of these moments in this podcast because you're, you're, you're a master educator. And because of that, for those of those folks who listen to my podcast that are in business and you have people working under you, you have to understand it's imperative for your organization to grow. You have to look at yourself like Absolutely. the master teacher, like because people are not going to run the business the way you want them to run it unless you teach them that way. That's right. So if you run in a little deli, you didn't bought yourself a subway. If you if you want your folks to uh, uh, make those sandwiches right, you got to teach your management yeah, staff right. how to make them sandwiches that's right. right. That's if right. you want your staff to teach the to, to treat your customers right, you got to treat the customer. You got to treat your staff right. That's right. So and 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 that spirit, I would call it a spirit. That spirit is even ev- evident in your office today. Mm. You know what I mean? And just caring and teaching. And I've I've sat in meetings with with you, and it's a learning lesson. I mean, like you, you learn everything from economics to, uh, 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 you know, social understanding. It's, it's a lot sitting down with you because you have a historical um, well of knowledge that you draw from. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, the matriculation from teacher to administrator to was there a principal in there? Um, did you go to the North Avenue? Yeah, here, here's here's what we had. Like again, uh, Ryan, and again, just and and I really appreciate um, you inviting me to this podcast because it's giving me a chance to go back and revisit some things that I hadn't thought about without being having stimulus uh, uh, kinds of questions that you're asking. Um, but yeah, listening again, right? I had a a a a a principal who had brought me on uh, after my mentor, may rest in peace, Dr. Walter Amprey. That was a big name yeah, in Baltimore. Yeah, he was my mentor, and I was in um, Prince George's County. I had moved to Prince George's County as a an instructor. I was still living in Baltimore, and then he brought me back to Baltimore. And that's how you know he was really in Prince George's County because if you're not from Prince George's County, you say PG County, and they right. hate that. Right, they right. Actually, I was on a panel down there, and they said, whatever you do, do not say PG County. Right. It has to be Prince George's. Right, <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, coming back here, and, and so, but he asked me to go to a very school that was very troubled at the time and it was Harlem Park and he wanted me to be the assistant principal oh my goodness at that time and so I had become the principal of Calhoun community right at Harlem Park and it was Wyatt Kogel was the principal that I met there and that's who he wanted me to come and assist and little did I know based on just putting in the work and trying to understand my craft Wyatt Koga elevated me though I was the unit principal I was his go-to guy okay so when he was out of the building or whatever I was often left in charge right and so um, he believed in me and so Wyatt gave me an opportunity to just move as you see how I do with my staff right, right. I believe in them I have uh, when I took on this position I intentionally before I, I went and got all millennials yeah the, the office is full of, of that's why I like coming up here. right so so and, and I believed in them and then you know and what that did for me is helps me to stay fresh one that I don't know everything and therefore I have to come across as if I don't know everything and I have to work with those individuals who don't know everything but I want them to know as much as they need to know and so I got to give them as many opportunities to do the same. But that's a tricky space to because I find that um, folks who get old get old because they have not um, integrated themselves into the day they're living in. Right. The fact that you have an office full of millennials who understand the way that the current world is working in the social um, atmosphere that we're living in, that's one thing. But to know that they are responsible for helping bring you along, but at the same time they're sitting at your feet and being tutored by you as to how this whole thing works. That's a that's a that is a commendable 
atmosphere that you're building because everybody can't do that yeah. there's a lot of offices that try to I'm going to bring this person in but that person doesn't understand the dynamic of who you are and I think you have an office full of people who understand who you are was it always like that when you were working in the school system of having that yeah. team yeah I always brought people around and, and, and I always I always I never put myself in a space where I where I was most comfortable. Okay. I put myself in a space where there was some discomfort, right? Because through that discomfort then I'm an alert. Right. If it doesn't feel good, then I'm paying attention to it. If you got a rock in your shoe, right. you attend to the rock in your shoe till you get the rock out your shoe. Right. 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 And so you have to intentionally put yourself in a place where you that there are things that make you alert. Right. So if I have youngsters in my office at the same time and I give them major responsibility, then I have to have major monitoring and check ins about how you're doing. I believe that you can do it. But in any event that you uh, you lose your way along the way then I gotta get you back to where you need to be so that's the responsibility of leadership and I think right. a lot of leaders um, they hire folks and say I was counting on you and yeah you were counting on me but you're still the leader you have to right. monitor right. my progression right. and that's where a lot of leaders I find mess up you know Ryan what I call it there's a difference between delegating and dumping <laughs> Right. So when I delegate, if I if I dump something on you, I just say, here, I want you to go do this. And I do no follow up until such time, maybe too far down the road. And when you bring it back, you bring it back. Nothing like I had imagined it looking. And it's on me. Right. That's dumping. Delegating is I give you something and I check in with you and you check in with me along the way. As to how it's going, so there's, and I can provide some guidance. So that, does that mean, from a leadership standpoint, you're setting expectations? Clear. You got to be clear about what it is that you're doing, and and you got to continue to listen. Exhaustive. Like, but one of the things I do, even with my staff, is like, you know, what I'm saying, you know, I've heard that before. If you and you heard it before because you've said it three times since we've been talking. So now you're hearing yourself talk, right? And so I try to have enough patience sometimes to let them hear themselves talk, <laughs> right? To the point where I'm saying, you know, and then for them, sometime, and I would say to a couple of them all, and I said, I like the idea, and they come and like, man, this is it. This is that hot idea. This is it. And I just say, well, why don't you date it for a little bit? Right. I'm not saying marry it. Right. Right. Just date the idea for a little bit. Right. And you might find later on, you know, it's a nice date. Dated the idea a couple of times, but you hadn't seen that idea for a little while after a while because right. it goes away. So don't be ready to just totally get married can we, to an can, idea. Okay. Another pause point where you, if you're writing down while you're listening to this, you need to understand that making rash decisions has never been good for anybody you need to date the idea a little bit date it because mm -hmm. you know the car that you have now you know although it you know is not what you want to be in it, that's what you have date the idea of going out and getting that new car date the idea because are you ready for that 700 800 a month payment right because that gets old real, 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 real quick. So go get yourself a rental car <laughs> and see if it's worth it. Yes, because, sir. Because for me, you know, I drive what I drive. Yes, sir. And um, I've been driving, you know, nice cars for a while. But, you know, when I first started, you know, getting in a nice car, I said, you know what? It's payment versus what I'm driving. You know, it's nice and all, but... I think I, I want that money sitting there. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I dated the idea and then I got in a range of luxury that I could afford. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people make bad decisions because they have not dated mm -hmm. those ideas. We, yeah. we make rash, right. rash decisions. And then we, we, where do we end up? Right. We, right. We, 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 we plan for something, but it doesn't work out. So let's get back to, you went, you were in the school system. You became what, assistant principal? I became an assistant principal um, at Harlem Park. And then after that, the same uh, individual, my principal, who had believed in me, he went forth and started telling Dr. Amprey, well, listen, you need to do something else. Well, I hate to lose him, but you need to move him. He's ready. And after uh, two years or so, uh, they recommended that I become the principal of Green Spring Middle School. Um, and Dr. Amprey accepted the recommendation from Wyatt Koga, and I became the principal uh, of Green Spring Middle School. And at the time, I was like one of the youngest 
at least African American male principals in 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 Baltimore City schools, and um, stayed there for three years, and you know turned it around, as they say, flipped it. You know, was we were having some issues there, but I was able to with the staff uh, being very action oriented, very hands on. Uh, we flipped it, and then they approached me again and asked me if I'd go to Walbrook oh. to become principal. And at that time, a youngster had gotten uh, whipped with a gun. Mm. And um, so they asked me to go to Walbrook and went to Walbrook. And I think that's the way a lot of your notoriety came from. Yeah, when going to Walbrook, yes. Yeah. Uh, went to Walbrook, and um, again, there were 1,500 youngsters when I got there. In a matter of four years, there were 2,200 youngsters. It became popular. Youngsters wanted to come. Parents were bringing their children. The children that I had met at Greenspring, uh, the graduates, all of them came over to uh, Walbrook. And we, we had a good time. I mean, I stayed there. And in my seventh year, I just had that itch. I ran for mayor of Baltimore City and um, didn't win. And then ran into a political process with the uh, the mayor, Martin O'Malley at the time. And, you know, he uh, did what he did in politics, came for me. <laughs> and, um, and which was a part of the process. I'm not right. crying about it. That's just right. what, it, what it was. As a matter of fact, people said, you know, if you don't lose this, if you don't win this race, they're going to come for you. And... I just didn't know come for me and what that exactly looks like. Extent of coming uh, for right. you. But again, but growing up on White Lock prepared me for how they came <laughs> for me with adding that uh, understanding of how I grew up to how I had learned about dealing with people. And I, you know, dealt with it and all that came with it. And, you know, we're still here. So it sounds like to me, each level you were on was preparing you for your next level. Yeah. Like to go from being a teacher to being the assistant principal to getting your own school, from getting your own school to going to be uh, a principal at Walbrook. And mm -hmm. from there, it sounds like you started principal uh, being the principal of a community versus the principal of just a school mm -hmm. like the parents and the mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. they were coming after you because whatever happens people are going to look for a leader mm -hmm. whether it be civil unrest whether it be economic struggle mm -hmm. people are going to look for a leader mm -hmm. and it looks like they found Dr. Andre Bunley as that as that leader and so from that from that being the case do you feel like at Walbrook you built so much of a base of people who look to you for leadership mm -hmm. that you said, hey, my next step could be... Right, and so, it was different. But, but why, my question to you is this. Why not city council? Why mm -hmm. not be a delegate? Why right. not... Why straight right. to... Right. to Hi hindsight, hindsight uh, I think strategically... Uh, I would have done it if I would, could have done it differently. I would have done that. But I wasn't thinking in that regard at that okay. time because of the way I thought. Right. Right. You know, from where I came, I just, when I thought big, I did big. Right. And so I just thought that. I could be mayor. But you had a lot of support, though. Right. Oh, no. I got 32% of the vote with no money, <laughs> where he had $2 million. Wait a minute. Say it again, because they no. don't understand. No, I had no money. I had just street cred. I think I raised maybe $5 at a time, maybe close to $200,000, right? I only had about $200,000. Right. He had $2 million, right? Um, he ended up getting 50% of the vote, something like that. I got 32% of the vote. So, you know, I, I'm not mad, and, and, and we did right, you know. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. But it showed that, actually what that shows to me, if I look at that, you know, analytically, it shows that who you thought you were in terms of the community being with you and your reach, it showed that you actually did have the support that you thought you had. It might have been just the, you know, different demographics because, you know, the demographically, Baltimore is a black city, but at the same time, there's some very um, powerful other groups of people in Baltimore mm -hmm. that we don't consider. Mm -hmm. And so from there, you go on to run for mayor, you don't get that, and you get into a little bit of a political tussle um, that teaches you more lessons. Right. And where, where do you go from there? So so, so after that, then, you know, again, having grown up where I grew up, that, that you know, it was a fight. So where I grew up, 
You know, if you see a good fight, just get in it. So I was in the fight. <laughs> if you see a good fight. <laughs> right. Just get in the fight. Right. And so when I realized that they were coming for me, right, out of their feelings, as they say, then I just had to fight. And so in that fight, you have to go get fighters. So I went and got Warren Brown and... Warren Brown said, "We, you know, we got to fight. He said, because we can't let them get you. Right. Because if we let them get you and you doing everything right, then the rest of us fair game. Right. So we did what we needed to do. We backed them up. Mm-hmm. And through their uh, position of power, I mean, they, they put me in a good space where I could still make a living and do what needed to be done. I was over at North Avenue, set me in a corner for a minute. <laughs> But, you know, I've always spent time by myself. Right. Right? Set me in the corner for a bit. Still had some skills. So, I, from every now and then, I would go out and do some consulting here and there. Because I had built up a reputation. So, But I was still working in Baltimore. And really had to hunker down for my own child. I have a son right. at that time, a young man. And he was in Baltimore. So, I needed to hunker down. Because it wasn't about me at the, after that. Right. So, I just stayed and did what I needed to do. And still did a good job. And continued to do what needed to be done. And then I had an opportunity to retire. And then, you know, the mayor, the Mayor Catherine Pugh, who I had uh, encountered and, and had grown to respect and love. All of us went to Bethel together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Catherine Pugh, Sheila Dixon. We were under uh, Bishop Reed, Bishop um, Bishop Bryant at first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Frank Reed came from uh, uh, Los Angeles to come over to take over the church. But, you know, she asked me to come and assist her. And, you know, I'm happy to assist her, right? And and because um, she has great vision. And so I'm just saying, but I know she couldn't do this and she can't do this by herself. So I just wanted to come and contribute. And she put me in the right space and said, Doc, you know, ultimately, I just, you know, we decided on becoming the director of this office, the Mayor's Office of African-American Male Engagement. And so now we're in a place where we have to um, reduce uh, uh, violence in a gun culture. Yeah. And so that's real work. But we're going to get it done. And so I'm excited about that. I'm I'm hurt and pained by the 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 people that we're losing right. and the people whom we've lost. Um but we have to methodically uh, put things in place that are fixtures that's, that remain when we're gone. And so I've been, you know, been in this office for seven months and working diligently uh, at the direction of the mayor. She's made it very clear what she wants me to do. And once you tell me what to do, you know, just let me do it. Right. And so she's allowed me to do what I do. And so we're moving. And, and, and I mean, I even looked at your talent and skill. And that's why I'm saying, wow, after I heard about you and I said, well, we really have to have him uh, as a part of this process right. to help us move this city forward. And so we're going to save lives. We're going to get some things done. And then we're going to, we're going to, um, memorialize the people we've lost and we're going to hug methodically the people who have lost loved ones so that, that's a that's a i've never heard that you know put like that first let me say that um your respect level um from someone who's following you in this journey your respect level for madam mayor is extreme it's impeccable it's it's undying it's you know you don't have to think about whether or not dr andre bunley is is committed to the vision of the mayor of baltimore i'm thank god we got a vision she's a very smart ryan um and very energetic she loves and works hard for people of baltimore people don't know she and she no nonsense but you know yeah Yeah, we were out you know we were out in you know in the street um not too long ago with the with the mayor she was doing going door to door stopping and hugging and talking to people and finding out um, you know how they were doing and even seeing um, parts of the city that were tattered and torn down and her hey, telling hey make sure when I come back by here that's not like that right. you know and so to speak to your level of dedication to her vision it's impeccable there's no, no, no question there but to also see someone who comes from the community 
has been a leader in the community for such a long time and now you're saying we're going to we're going to do something about this crime rate because this crime rate in Baltimore City is ridiculous yes like, it is it rivals Chicago it's like it's crazy right but to, no, I've never heard anybody say we're going to memorialize those who we have lost right. and the reason that means something to me is because if you know anything about the culture or the crime culture or the murdering um, murderous culture in Baltimore, it's not like random people are dying here. <laughs> it's not one of those situations where you can right. walk on the street right. and get you know shot mugged. Baltimore is one of the safest places you can come. If you're just a regular citizen, mm -hmm. you're good to go here. Right. But if you're in the life, right. this that's where it becomes. Baltimore is a no play zone you can't mm -hmm. play here right and so to hear you say you know we're going to memorialize these people that means that you still there is a sense of humanity that you have even though folks may have died for whatever reason we're going to memorialize that that person should still should not have lost their life and for us to to bring humanity to those who have died means it now changes the mindset of those who are doing the killing to say this is a human i'm taking you know what ryan your analysis makes you even and uh, yes, you're special already in terms of the body of work that I've seen you do, and that's why I'm so happy to be able to work with you uh, henceforth, right? But your understanding that individuals have been dehumanized, right? And if we don't humanize individuals, then they become just a number, right? They become, they don't have a face. They don't have a family. They don't have a connection. And I think a lot of individuals who are missing that are individuals who have not had processes that serve as pain relievers, right. have not had processes that serve as antidepressants, right? right. And so we have a, 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 a city of individual segment, like you said, steeped in life who are anxious and depressed. You have a group of individuals who are in pain. Listen, Individuals who might become drive-by shooters weren't born that way. No. Individuals... That was, that was somebody's baby. That's right. And so what I'm saying is that all behavior is learned, right? And learning is neutral. Yep. So you can learn the right thing or you can learn the wrong thing. Whatever's in your space is that thing that you'll learn. So if you raised me and you were my dad and I saw this yellow object that was fruit, and because of the relationship you had with me, and I love my dad, and you told me that that long yellow piece of fruit was an apple, I'd believe it until otherwise. And anybody who would tell me it was a banana would throw my mind into discrepancy. And not only that, that person now is the enemy right. because they said something contrary, contrary to, to what I believe. Absolutely. And I think that's what happens with the, the black community. That's what happens with religion. That's, that, that's what happens with a lot of things because, you know, people have reason for teaching you whatever it is they have to teach you um and it starts in slavery right, right. i'm no gonna doubt. teach you a certain way because that's i right. want you to first of all i don't want you reading that's right and, and if i do want you read i'm only gonna give you the bible that's right, right. Be, and then and then and, inter and interpret the scripture that, to your disadvantage and, and give you the that's preacher right. i want you to have that's right and he's gonna preach that's what, right. I, what i've emphasized to him that's right and so what ends up happening you is anybody it. that comes against that preacher you got it is now the enemy that's right but that person could potentially be preaching the truth. That's right. And that's why, and let me say this, and I'm going to give it back to you. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people don't like or think that Minister Farrakhan is an extremist. Right. I love Minister Farrakhan. Right. Because when I, when I sit and listen to Minister Farrakhan, mm -hmm. he's saying some stuff that people don't want to hear. That's right. But if you read in your Bible, it makes sense. That's right. That's you see right. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so... Coming into a situation where you have to spread the truth and mm -hmm. you have to give people the truth, mm -hmm. there's not too many truth tellers out here. That's right. And, and it's so mm -hmm. funny that you would say that because Dr. Prowse just sent this to me the other day. It was Malcolm X and said, he said, you have to be very, Malcolm X said, you have to be very careful introducing the truth to the black man who has never previously heard the truth about himself. This black brother is so brainwashed that he may reject the truth when he first hears it. You have to 
to drop a little bit on him at a time and the, and, and 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 wait while the 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 it sets in and and so that's that whole idea of what you're saying if if I don't know the truth and you give me the truth and and and, and that's not what I heard then you I'm mad at you cuz you've thrown my mind into discrepancy so you got to give people the truth in doses which means that in fact the truth has now become relative right you know what I mean? because if if in fact um, and it's a scripture uh, Have I now become Your enemy Because I tell you the truth Right And it's all based on Not so much the truth But based on who's telling it to That's me. right So if I feel a certain way About Barack Obama Right And he's done said some stuff To, to me Through my TV And I connect with that I identify with that That's my black man He's But It's not necessarily The truth Mm-hmm my connection to Barack Obama is what I'm basing the truth on, That's right. not the facts of what he's saying. That's right. And what we've done so many times is, and this is a point that I'm going, I'm going to t- try to tie this together, and you let me know what you think from your doctoral yes, perspective. Sir. Yes, sir. Because of the police officer has such a bad image in our community, him telling me not to walk in the street has offended me. His message is right. That's right. But I don't like him That's right There's a dichotomy There's a struggle I have here Do I listen to him Or do I cuss him out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now it brings Our community back To this weird place Of they don't If he would have just listened He wouldn't have been Shot and killed mm-hmm. But there's a, a, a whole lot of Different factors there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Relationships Evolve and, 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 and there are those who say you can't have a revolution and that is a 180 degree turn right right from that thing that you don't have to the thing that you have now right. revolution is an evolutionary process and so when individuals have let's stay with the with the, this idea about the police officer if over time the exchanges between police officers are Experienced and remembered as being painful and bad, mm-hmm. then that is what's on the mind of the individual experiencing it and the individuals who love that individual or right. who is connected to that individual. And that's when we begin to have a, a, a perspective that spreads throughout a community. Right. Right. And then, like you say, that people uh, remember. And you said this, but people remember with their feelings. Right. What my Angelo says, I might not remember what they said. I might not remember what they did, but I will remember how they made me feel. Yeah. So people, years, something could have happened and a person remembers it. But as soon as they see you 10 years later, the first thing that he, that arises is the feeling. Yep. Right? And so that is what we're talking about. And so we do have to have individuals who understand and to change the narrative, so to speak, the experience right. before individuals can say, when a person says, get out of the street, and you should be getting out of the street because a Mack truck is coming. <laughs> You don't stop and hesitate about who the person is telling it to you based on these multiple experiences that have been bad. And so by the time you decide that you're going to get out of the street, it's too late. And so what what it is that Dr. Bunley is trying to do, and I'll speak for you, Doc, is you are trying to give enough love back to the community where they can stop judging who's giving the message and just determine whether or not it's good. Right. It's about you. Right. We're talking that we want everybody to know that they matter. The difference that's going to be made is with every individual you. It's on you. But if it's on you and then it's on you and you, including me, it's on us. And us together going to get it done with a vision and a, a direction in terms of where we're going. And so, yeah, the love is it, man. You got to, you know, one of the things I learned by working with our children is that <clears throat> Anybody that cannot treat me right cannot teach me right. Right? One, one more time. Hold, hold on. The, the, hold, hold on, Doc. Hold on, Doc. That's good. That's good. I'm, I need I need to put that one on, on video. Go ahead. Say that one more time. So, so as over a period of time, I have learned by working with our children, and they made it very clear 
that anybody that cannot treat me right cannot teach me right. And so you got to meet them in a space of where they are with a level of humanity. And I forget, I think it was somebody said, giving them something they can feel. Right. Right? Because our children would tell you over a period of time, I feel you. Right. They didn't say, I heard you. No. I, I see you. you. I feel you. Right? And so that's where we are. And if that thing that they feel love, you know, is powerful. Right? Caring is powerful. You know that whole thing about Dr. King talks about, you know, the strength and love. He said, he said, power without love is reckless and abusive. He said, love without power is sentimental and weak. What we have to do is bring this love and power together in a measured way to get the net effect of where we're trying to go. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that in order for there to be, for the police to be able to do their, their job in a Baltimore-like atmosphere or, you know, place, there has to be an organization that is doing the work of building the community. Because if not, it's going to be just like you said, like right. Dr. King said, right. it's going to be reckless and abusive. Yes. However, when you have Dr. Bunley's organization, the Mayor's Office of African American Male Engagement, who is providing resources, who is teaching people, they're going to be opening up some repetition centers to get the message back into the community of you need to better yourself. You, we're going to provide these ways for you to do that. Now they have a better sense of a, a greater sense of self right. and self importance, self awareness, and this is what Doc was talking about the you factor. Right. If they understand that, hey, you as in I matter, what's going to happen now is when I come in contact with the police, it's not going to stop the bad apples. That's not what we're talking That's about. Right. What we're talking about here is we're talking about you having enough self-worth that we are not now in situations. We're not putting ourselves in circumstances where we can, uh, uh, where we're being taken advantage of because we know our self-worth, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I've been pulled over plenty of times. Um, and not to say any certain type of action will keep you from being a victim of anything. That's right. But there's a certain way you now learn how to handle yourself. Right. I now know that my my understanding of who I am, the value I bring in the community, the 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 worth that I have as a black man should not be mauled down in the That's street. Right. That's right. The 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 there there is a level of respect um, that you want to bring to the situation and have individuals to um, heed that respect that you command. One of the things that we have in growing up in Baltimore is that big brother, um, that feeling that we get by having that big brother. Oh, my, I had right? a big, I have a big brother. Right. I know exactly. And so what you're about. there's a sense of security. Um, the only thing I say about the big brother, when I look back at my big brother, I kind of set my big brother up sometime because I was wrong and I went to the situation. He just came to my defense blindly because I didn't give him all the facts, right? But the fact of the matter is, the reason that he was even in a bad space that I put him in because I knew that I could go to my big brother. And that's where we want, in, in this office, we want people to know that we're with you and we're going to come strong but we're not coming when you're wrong and just not help you understand that so we we want to give you that you 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 know us and we know you and we with you and you're with us um but at the same time we're talking about moving toward righteousness over a period of time right so that when we become indignant it's righteous indignation. That, and that's what we have to work from. And I'll say this and we'll end the podcast because we, mm -hmm. we write at 47 minutes. I'll say this. Um, Dr. Bunley's office here, um, Mayor's Office of African American uh, Male Engagement, is not just talking about the work. They've already begun the work. Um, one of the major things they've done is to bring together some of 
Baltimore's top thought leaders in different sectors, um, be it from art to to, um, uh, to to social, to economics, to, to government. He brought a lot of people together and um, had a conference and shared the heart of the office and shared what it is they were doing, shared about their repetition center, shared about um, funding for nonprofits and different organizations. And he had a lot of people in the room. And that's where it started. And of course, the legwork started before them, but that's where folks really got to understand that this ain't a talk game for Dr. Bundy in his office. This is a we about to change the whole game. They do it. And you know, one thing I live by is you know people say, well, you know, keep it keep it quiet until you actually do something because you don't want you know, if it don't work out. I don't live my life right. by if no. it don't work out. That's I right. live my life by I'm gonna make it loud. That's right. I'm gonna say it proud. That's that way, right. God got to do something about it because if right. not, He a liar, not me. Because right. we hold ourselves accountable because we yeah. put it out there. We put it out there, and so you're gonna see more. You're gonna hear more. And as as the mayor's office of African African American male engagement grows and does more things, you're gonna hear drops on the podcast keeping you aware of um, where the repetition centers are going to be where the events are going to be where they're partnering with the mayor where things are happening and I just want to thank Dr. Bunley for taking a time out of his busy busy day Candace did a good job getting me on your calendar um, and talking to me and as we progress we'll come back and we'll do some more to talk about it and share because I think this is something that our city needs not just the negative things but those individuals who are doing things to change our community ladies and gentlemen do you have anything to say before we leave no, just want to be whenever we do come back uh, to here. We want to be able to describe the work. Yeah, we're not talking about vision. We want to describe what we've done and what we yet still want to do to build on what we've done. So it's about action. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a social advice podcast with Rock Mitchell, where it don't take that long to get right. And I have had the honor to sit down today with the man himself, uh, Dr. Andre Bunley, who we honor um, very, very, very highly. He's doing some amazing work. And if you want to get in touch with uh, Dr. Bunley um, You can always go Where can they call Doc they or, they can, can, or email They can uh, Email Andre A-N-D-R-E-Y Dot Bunley B-U-N-D-L-E-Y At Baltimore City One word Dot gov If you have resources If you have um, Questions Um a staff member will get back to you. They'll take good care of you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's been uh, this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Advice podcast with your host Rock Mitchell. Enjoy intriguing conversations and dialogue surrounding faith, fashion, technology, current events, culture, self-help, and motivation. And remember this one thing: don't take that long to get right, shorty. Welcome to the show.